past weekend, on a very snow-filled day, we started this series called In Every Season. And Nick pointed out that the shepherds were told of a Savior that had been born. The question is, why is that such a big deal? And the answer is simply because of sin. Because you and I, we need a Savior And so separation from God started with Adam and Eve, but today, even when you look around at as many messes as there are in the world, it all comes down to a spiritual mess. Like it can all be tracked back to that. And here's what I'd like to point out kind of about our beginning amongst all of the beauty that God was there in the creation. Each day he looked and he said, it is good You see the relationship with mankind, God walking alongside of him. The presence of God was easily seen, but then came sin. How would God react? Like, would he decide to stay away from man or would he break off the relationship? Would he rebuke them harshly and take away his love? Adam and Eve didn't know. And so they heard God walking in the garden. They decide that they're going to hide because of the fear that they had. But in spite of their rebellion, like God still loved them. He clothed them now that they knew they were naked. He kicked them out of the garden, but that's not out of anger. Like sometimes we think that. Instead, it was for their own protection. So they wouldn't eat from the fruit of the tree of life and live forever in the state of this sin. He did tell them the consequences of their choices, the result of their sin. And yet even within those words, there was a promise of one who would come that would defeat evil and would save mankind. Like he would restore the relationship to what it was originally created to be. And so we look forward to the day when everything is going to be completely restored. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, like right now, we get to experience some of that restoration that you and I, when we choose him, he makes us new. And so in this season of perfection that we read about, and even in the season where sin appeared, I want you to notice that God's presence was a constant and he was already preparing to send a savior. So then if you were to open up your your Bible and just read through the pages, you would see these words and how evil increases over time to the point where in Genesis chapter six, verses five and six, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. I want you to imagine that. Like we just read the words, but imagine this. The God who is ultimate love is troubled. He is grieved in some versions because of how the people are choosing to act. And we're not just talking a person or two. We're not talking even the minority. We're not even talking the majority of people are being this way, but practically everyone. And so God's response was the flood to wipe out all that was evil and to rescue those who were following after him. And after the flood, God promised he would never do that again on this earth by water. But make no mistake, He has promised that one day all evil will be completely wiped out and those who follow after him will be rescued. And even in the quote story of Noah, you see God's presence 
and the promise of a way to be saved still to come. And so after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we read about 12 sons and they're living under this covenant that God had made with Abraham. The word covenant, we don't just use that a whole lot today, but it's kind of like a contract or a treaty that shows the established basis for a relationship. So there are promises, there are responsibilities, there are consequences stated within that covenant. And part of God's promise to Abraham is that Abraham, you will be the father of a great nation. And that nation becomes Israel. And eventually, when Jacob's son Joseph dies and a new Pharaoh takes the throne who does not know of Joseph, he enslaves the Israelites because there are so many of them. And God uses a man named Moses along with his brother Aaron to free the Israelites. Although, make no mistake about it, it is the power of God that frees them, not Moses. And it's also the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their houses that causes the Lord to pass over their houses so that their firstborn child is not killed. And we see the presence of God and even the foreshadowing of a savior within these pages. And then as the Israelites, they leave Egypt, they follow wherever God leads them to. By day, he is leading by a pillar of cloud. By night, there's a pillar of fire. And then God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and many other laws for the people to be able to follow. He gives instructions on how to live with others. And when you do that, how you show justice, how you show mercy. He gives instructions on how to properly worship God. He gives instructions for the priests to obey. He also gives instructions on how to build a tabernacle. That's kind of like a church on wheels. But what happens is, is that once it is built, God's glory covers that tabernacle when it's fully built. And speaking of God's glory, like Moses would be able to tell you about that. Like he's standing on the mountain and God passes by and his face shines for days. So much so that he comes down and the people are afraid of him. And so he wears a veil oftentimes when he's around them, except for when he goes to talk with God again. And he removes that veil and again, his face begins to shine. You see God's presence, it makes a difference. And during this time, God confirmed the covenant between him and his people that had long ago been established during the time of Abraham. Now, I mentioned that God gave instructions, like what kind of instructions? Well, if you were to read part of Exodus and all of Leviticus and part of Numbers, you would see some of these instructions. And again, we know about the Ten Commandments, these rules that really do kind of deal with our relationship with God and relationship with other people, but there's so much more than that. He gives instructions about servants and properties and injuries and food and childbirth and diseases, and unlawful sexual relations, and social and communal responsibilities, which includes carrying out punishment for those who don't follow the law. Within those instructions, he talks about these Sabbath laws and five types of offerings. He gives these acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices, what those look like. He gives these seven feasts, which also includes what's called the Day of Atonement that maybe you've heard of. But the high priest on that day goes into the Holy of Holies and he makes sacrifices for himself and then sacrifices for all the people of Israel. And then they also confess all their sins and they place it on this goat and then they release the goat. He becomes a scapegoat. That's where we get the word from the thing goes out into the desert. And so all of these things are instructions by God on how to live. 
In fact, I told you about that tabernacle. He gives specific instructions on how it is to be built and how the furnishings inside are supposed to be. He gives instructions on how the camp is supposed to be laid out. So you group of people, your tribe stays here and your tribe stays here. Like he gives instructions for all those. In fact, then he gives instructions on, okay, when you move, certain people are supposed to take certain things. And so you need to obey all of these rules. You see, it is so much more than just the 10 commandments. But God gave Moses what we refer to as the law. And the people were to live with the presence of God underneath the umbrella of the law. And that's not a bad thing that sometimes maybe you picture when you hear the words, the law. But I want you to know, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit more. But God had a purpose with all of this. Now, having given the people the information and the instructions, his desire then is to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But they chose fear. And because of their fear, they chose not to obey. And because of their disobedience, they then had to wander the desert for 40 years, where anyone who was 20 years or older died in the desert. And the people, oh, they grumbled. They grumbled because they did not like how God was leading. They felt like they could do a better job. Man, I'm glad that that's never us. Like we never think we can do a better job than God. But here's these people doing that. At one point, God even sends these venomous snakes to open their eyes to the sin. But not only does he does do that, at the exact same time, he sends a remedy. The people that were bitten were able to look up at this bronze snake and be saved. And again, what that was is a foreshadowing of the one who would be lifted up that we could all look to, to be saved. Eventually, the people did enter into the promised land after those 40 years. But before they enter into the promised land, God has Moses teach the law again. Make sure the new generation understands who God is, understand their relationship to him, understand how they are to interact with one another. They were reminded of these truths that maybe they were taught when they were younger and encouraged to obey the Lord in everything you do. Well, the Israelites, they lived underneath the covering of the law for generations. At times they were led by judges. At times they were led by kings. They eventually build a temple, which then replaces the tabernacle, and it becomes this permanent place of worship and sacrifice. But because of sin and disobedience, they would eventually be taken into captivity. But even in captivity, God was still with them during those seasons which we'll look at more next week. But maybe when you ever hear the word the law, maybe you think of the word Torah or you think of the word Pentateuch or the idea of the five books of Moses. Maybe your mind, when you hear the idea of law, you think of teachings and instruction, like the law became the Jewish way of life. Maybe when you hear law, you just think of the entire Old Testament. You know, they were underneath the law. When I went to my pictorial encyclopedia of the Bible this week, I opened up law and like I started looking and there were 10 pages on law in the Old Testament. And then I went to the right afterwards, it said three pages pages worth of like law in the New Testament. And I'm just going to tell you today is not the day that we're going to get that technical. Some of you would absolutely love a study like that. Some of you would like the Note version, like that'd be great. Some of you'd be like, that is a perfect time for a nap for me. And I'm okay with that. As we're talking about the law, like sometimes when people hear this in reference to scripture, they can kind of feel unconnected to it because maybe it feels like really archaic. Like that was such a long time ago. Or maybe just thinking, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Like I live underneath what Jesus has done, so I look at the New Testament. Or maybe you hear that and you just go, man, there's a lot to read there. And some of that is really hard to understand. Maybe sometimes when you hear the law, you're just like, well, does that even apply to me? Why do I need to spend time looking at that? 
Other people, when you hear those words, you're just thankful, I don't live underneath the law, the way that God had set things up there. Or I will tell you, the more a person studies the law and you see the purpose for why God set everything up, why he designed it the way he did, man, it makes me grateful for the grace of Jesus. And so that's kind of just a run through, a looking kind of big picture at this law that God had set up. And I want to look at some specific scripture, specifically in the New Testament, that kind of helps us understand some of these things. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Again, these verses are in our app as well. But I will tell you, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, in case you just have this idea that the law was something that was just kind of treacherous and the people hated following, man, you can look at Psalm 119, the entire chapter, the biggest chapter in the Old Testament. Testament is David just writing and verse after verse after verse is the beauty of God's law, of his commands, of his precepts. And so I think that's important because again, sometimes we're like, oh, the law, but man, the Jewish people are like, I understand. And I'm seeing who God is through all of this. But I have you turn to Matthew chapter five. We're going to read verse 17. So part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words in 517, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, and so Jesus says, hey, you know all about the law. You've been raised in this. I did not come just to wipe them out and say they're not important anymore. He said, but I am a fulfillment of all that you have been doing. So it's good for us to understand the law. It's good for us to understand the prophets because Jesus then becomes an extension of them. Like he is the answer to all that God has designed. Now, I want to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to look there for quite a while. So go to chapter 3 in Romans. And while you're turning there, let me tell you just a little bit about that letter or that book, just in case you don't know a whole lot about it. This letter, it focuses specifically on the righteousness of God being revealed. Like, wow, I understand who God is. And so part of what Paul does is he shows what God was doing through the law and how it is applicable to these new Christians, okay? And Paul tells the Jewish people in chapter two, that you know what, you can have the title of Jew, but that doesn't make you a follower of God. What makes you a follower of God is if you choose to obey him. So as Jesus has come, look at all these Gentiles who are choosing to obey. They are doing what God has designed them to do. And so then he gets to chapter three and he's talking about how none of us, none of us can fully keep the law 100%. We all mess up at some point. And so then in chapter three of Romans verses 19 and 20, here's what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Okay, now I get, as we're in Romans, I'm going to tell you, there's some big words sometimes that you're like, what? You really have to focus on some of those things. Can I just tell you, as you read those verses, this idea, the law makes us conscious of our own sin. Like God had set up this law so that people would know how to be able to worship him. Again, they'd maybe been taught that so many years, maybe things hadn't been passed down. So God again says, this is how to worship. This is how to connect with me. But man, sin it causes us not to keep up our end of the bargain, our side of the covenant. We can't do it. And so one thing that the law does is it makes us aware of our sin. It makes us aware of our inability to keep salvation, to earn salvation. It even opens our eyes to the fact that we need a savior. 
And so then Paul continues writing in Romans about the faith that Abraham had and how he followed after God. And then he transitions to showing that Jesus came to die so that you and I, we could be justified. And then he compares a man named Adam to Jesus. He says, look, death entered the world through one man. And just as that happened, life has entered the world through one man. And then there's a verse that catches some people off guard. And so turn to chapter five in Romans. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. It's at the very end of the chapter. And Paul says this, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace must reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, now right at the beginning, sometimes people are like, what? The law was there to increase sin? What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what some people would tell you, that it could be that basically you and I, we do what we're told not to do. Okay? It's kind of like that wet paint, do not touch sign. You know what? You wouldn't care about that wall or that pole or, you know, that bench. You, know, you wouldn't give it a second thought, except now there's a sign and you're like, I wonder if it's still wet. And you go over and touch it and realize it is, you know? And so like we're told, you know, not to do something. And so now all of a sudden we want to do it. Some people will tell you that's what this verse means. I don't lean that way. I think more likely what this verse means is that you and I, we are made aware of our wrong. And so when it talks about increasing, our awareness increases. We see what we have done wrong. Instead of just being like, yeah, I had no clue. All of a sudden it's like, wow, I understand what I did and what I shouldn't have done. And it's kind of like when you and I are caught doing something we shouldn't do, where you begin to feel guilty. In that moment, you know you don't deserve to be let off, the pun off of punishment. You know, you, you know that it's coming. But man, you are hoping that there is a grace. And that's what happens here. You know what? Because of the law, we realize what we have done. And all the more we hope for that grace to increase. And so because of the grace of Jesus, those who accept it are now alive in Christ. And Paul even points out the continual struggle, like not just choosing Jesus and then it's all good. He continues to show this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, <laughs> even within himself. But then look what he writes. Turn to chapter eight. We're going to read verses one through four. Okay, the struggle that happens even with him, so it happens within all of us. <clears throat> and then this is what he says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so again, I know there's a lot of big words, but he says, there is now no condemnation. You see, Jesus came and his life met all the expectations of the law. He was the only one who was able to fulfill all of it. And so because of that, when he says, I have come to fulfill the law, he means it. He was able to do that. And so we then get to live in a grace that he offers us. And considering that you and I cannot earn perfection, man, that is great news. There's two more verses I want to look at, but they're in the book of Hebrews. So turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I'll just tell you that the author of Hebrews, he is writing to his readers about how this new covenant through Jesus 
Oh, it is so much better than the old covenant that God had established. You see, Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses, who they all felt, you know, was a high up person. They followed after him and man, the law of Moses, fantastic. But Jesus is greater. You know, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than the angels who some of you are choosing to worship. And Jesus has become our high priest. And so then I want you to listen to the words that are actually from Jeremiah, but the author quotes here in chapter eight, verses eight through 12. He says, but God found fault with the people and he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will, or it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Like Jeremiah was speaking of this time and then the author of Hebrews is reminding the people we're now in this new covenant because the people could not keep the first covenant. And God says that he will be our God. We will be his people and he will write that law on our hearts and our minds. It's not just on tablets or paper or whatever. And he will forgive. He will choose to forgive. And as I say all that, can you hear, can you feel the relationship being restored? It's closer to what God originally had created and intended for that relationship between us and him. That is what God longs for. And for the final good news, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to see what's written here just about the law. The very beginning, verses 1 through 4, it says, The law is only a shadow of good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bull and goat, bulls and goats to take away sins. And so in that, he's saying the law, God established this, but it is a shadow of what is to come. And it is impossible for these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices that are made year after year to permanently take away the sin of you and I. And so what I want you to hear is, as we're talking about the law, all of the law was foreshadowing. It was pointing forward to a savior, a final sacrifice, one that would happen once and for all, that nothing else is needed. And so... In the midst of a Christmas season, you and I, we can look back at this Old Testament. You can see the law for what it was, and you can realize that on this night, the shepherds were told of a Savior that had been born, one that so many people had been looking forward to. So in every season, can I tell you, in the season of the creation in the fall, we saw that God was present. And in the season of the law, God was present. So even saying all that, I kind of wonder, other than this idea that you and I 
we need a savior. And Jesus came to earth to be that for us. Like what kind of application can we take about away from the sermon on the law? Like what are some of the seasons that maybe you and I are living in right now that kind of connect with the time of the law? And so I want to give you just a couple, all right? Obviously not all of them, because again, it's not that deep of a study, but just a couple things just to kind of put out there to help you. So maybe as we're talking about seasons of life, some of you are in a moment or in a season where you're kind of trying to figure out who exactly you are. Or maybe those aren't the words you would use, but you'd kind of be like, do I really have any kind of purpose? Or am I just kind of floating day to day? Or maybe you're kind of wondering this idea of, does anyone even care about me? If I wasn't here, would anyone notice? And if that's you, like you're in one of those seasons right now, could I tell you looking at scripture from the law, you can see that you are created by God. That is the truth. You are created by him and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to call you child. You are cared for. You are loved. And one of the great things about the law that sometimes we don't take away is the idea that that gave the people their identity, that we are his. We are set apart. We reflect the holiness of God. And so you and I, as we choose Jesus, like you are his. You are set apart and you reflect his holiness. Like God is holy and yet he chooses to walk with us. And I'll tell you, if you're in this spot where you're struggling with who you are, but you've never decided to follow after him, could I tell you this, that if you choose to do that, you experience a level of love and purpose that you will not find anywhere else because that is what you and I are created for to be in a relationship with him. Can I tell you, if you're struggling with some of this, but you have chosen to follow after him, I would encourage you not to be afraid to be different, to be holy, even if the world doesn't like it. Like that is what you were created for. And you and I, there is a protection that comes with God's design as you walk with others, as you walk in truth and goodness, as you walk with him. And so in this season of struggle, know that God designed you and he's got a plan for you, but he is walking with you every step of the way. Maybe that's not the season of life you're walking in though. Maybe yours is a little bit more right now. Like you kind of, if you're just looking at your life, like I keep coming up short. Like it seems like I just can't do enough. Like I, maybe you just even say I'm a failure. Maybe you don't use those words with anyone else, but if you're talking and being honest about how you really feel, those are words that you would assign to your life. Can I tell you, as I look at the law, I see a truth that says that deeds don't save you. So man, that is a freeing truth. And I also see that no one can fully keep the law. So sometimes we play that comparison. No one can completely keep the law. And good news, God chose to use Moses, who definitely wasn't perfect. He used a lot of other people that weren't perfect, which means he can choose to use you if you let him. He might even use you even if you don't let him, but it's a lot better if you do. Man, as I see this stuff and I learn about the law, I understand this grace is offered to us and you and I, we can live in the freedom of that. That you and I are not defined by our accomplishments or our failures, although sometimes we we cause ourselves to be defined by that, but we don't have to be. Man, that is freeing because sometimes at work I mess up. Or maybe at school you just don't feel like you fit in. Or things with projects or on a team, it just didn't go to where you wanted to. There's something happening in your family like, man, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Maybe it's socially you don't feel like, you know, you really achieved what you should have. 
And I tell you, you are not defined by those things. Instead, you are defined by the righteousness of God. And if, if you're stuck in that season right now, could I challenge you to look again at how you define success? And could I encourage you to listen to the Father's voice and maybe not all those others that are negative, or even if that's your own voice that's negative, don't listen to those, but listen to the one that says you are intimately loved by God. Maybe that's not the season you're in, though. Maybe you're almost the opposite side, and your heart and your mind, they are filled with pride, and you're like, I do not need God. Like, you know what? He would be grateful to have me on his side. Like, you're just here because you're making someone else happy, or you're tuning in just because you kind of found it on, on, on the website, and you're like, eh, hey, maybe I'll do this for today. Can I tell you that when you look at the truth of the law, it opens people's eyes to sin. Even the priests, they weren't good enough. They continue to offer sacrifices for themselves. And so being good enough does not get us into God's presence. And even today, God still opens eyes to the sin in our lives, to what is right and what is wrong. And I'll tell you, when you look at scripture, there are some pretty big consequences to sin. You see consequences that happen when all the Israelites are worshiping this golden calf or consequences to continually uh, complaining in the desert, or consequences to not going into the promised land when God says it's time, or consequences to worshiping other gods, or even moments where God is still with the people, but he says, I'm not going to fight for you. Right now, I am with you, but I will not fight for you because of the choices that you are making. And even today, there are still consequences to not choosing him, or even in the moment, I'm purposely going to sin and do things my own way. Can I tell you, if I live that way, there are moments that God may not bless your life as you live your way. But can I tell you, if you choose not to follow after him, there will come that time where there is ultimate separation from him and it will last forever. And even as I tell you that, like, God does not want it that way. But if you're in this season where you're like, I got it, I don't really need him, could I challenge you? Take a step back and look, like take a great look at your life. How are you measuring your goodness or what you think you deserve? If you're completely honest, even the good that you've done in certain areas, you failed. You failed. None of us have kept the law. None of us are perfect. We have all sinned because that ultimate problem is a sin issue. And you can't hide that from the one who sees everything. And so God demonstrated his presence by sending Jesus to die to take your place. He has already done his part. And so now he's waiting for you to accept that gift, to follow after him and experience life to the full. Maybe the season that you're in is one of celebration. Like, man, things are going well, and you understand who God is and what he's done in your life, and you realize life is meant to be enjoyed. Like, God wants us to enjoy life, and you understand I am saved. Or maybe you're even in that spot, I really want to celebrate, but man, I'm struggling right now. Man, when you look at the Old Testament, there are so many feasts, there are so many offerings, worship. Yes, there were a lot of rules, but it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship between the people and God, so they got to experience him. And so today, maybe we should just remember that and celebrate. Maybe we shouldn't walk around with 
with this joy that we have of Jesus, but like we have the Eeyore face, that no one can tell that there's any kind of excitement within us. So we ought to look for what God is doing. We ought to remember the things that he has done. We shouldn't feel bad about being excited what God has given to you. We should enjoy worship because we are in the presence of God. And so maybe this, the spot that you are in, the season that you are in is celebrating. And I would tell you, continue to do that. I will tell you, those are just a few of the seasons that maybe you're living in right now. But I will tell you this, whatever season you're in, even if I didn't mention it right now, whatever your season you're in, I can tell you from looking at scripture that God is there walking with you. I will tell you, it doesn't mean that things are always going to go the way you want. I mean, just look at the Israelites. Did things always go the way they want? Nope. But I will tell you that he's there and he was paving the way for a savior. And so as with them, he is with you, walking with you and preparing for your future. That future is made possible by the death of a savior, which started with his birth, which is what we celebrate during this season. Let's not take that for granted. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. And there are so many things that maybe even we just continue to dive into and, and attempt to understand. But God, you want us to know it. You want to be in a relationship with us. And so I pray, I pray that as we live, God, we would fully live for you. Not trying to earn anything because we know that we can't. But God, that we could live in the grace and we would just say thank you for the life that you have given us, which is not just on this earth, but extends for eternity. God, I don't know what season everyone is walking through right now, but I am thankful that you haven't left us. God, that you will give us strength as we lean upon you. You will give us wisdom in decisions that we make. God, you'll surround us with people that we need to make it through. We hang on to those promises. And so I'm thankful for what we see and for thankful for what we know. God, I continue to pray for hearts that need to choose you, that maybe don't even fully understand that, but like I know that like my life is not complete right now. Father, I pray that they would see the joy that you offer as we live for you. God, help us as a body of believers just to encourage one another. God, help us in this season not to get so busy with details that maybe don't matter that we miss the real reason. And so as we've been studying, we're looking forward to that birth of Jesus. Man, we are thankful that he came. But even now, where we live today, we're thankful that he will come again. And so we look forward to being with you for eternity. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.